Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey guys, another episode of the Believe in Padres Prospects Podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. San Diego's number one sports podcast network. And I am recording. <laughs> always always good to check that. Uh, Wade's in studio. What's up, Wade? Yeah. You know, I was in the office this morning and figured it's on my way home. Might as well stop by. We got no soap in the bathrooms, but yeah. we do have hand sanitizer in the studio. The no soap in the bathroom was a little shocking. Yeah, for a like widely used public restroom that's in our little office complex. Right. Kind of weird. That yeah. There's <laughs> I've seen the custodial staff like disinfecting the doorknobs and stuff, which is really nice. But also, you know, how about some soap in the dispenser since we're we're in COVID, you know. On today's show, we missed Joey Fuego and Skinny Nailer getting sent to the alternate site by about an hour last week. And I could have come back and recorded something about it, but I didn't. Uh, was it critical that I come back and do something? No. But should I have? Wade, should I have? Probably not. I don't think I didn't think it was worth it. Um, it's fair to point it out that maybe I should have, but you know what? I didn't think it was that critical. Anyway, um, on today's show we've got prime Manny Machado. Now that Yonder Alonso is back in Padres in a Padres uniform, happy wife, happy life, and ha- I mean happy Machado. That's all I care about. Right, but his wife is happy now. Oh, yeah. Doesn't she live here in the offseason? Who? Machado's sister. I don't know. I mean, I know. She's married to Yonder Alonso, right? No. Manny is married to Yonder Alonso's sister. Okay. That's what I meant. So, isn't, don't they live? Yeah. Yonder and his wife, who's Manny's sister, live in San Diego in the (laughs) offseason. No. (laughs) They don't? Yonder's. Yonder lives here in the offseason. Yonder's sister is Manny's wife. Okay. Wait, is that what you said the first time? I believe so. <laughs> Doesn't Yonder live here in the offseason? Okay, let's skip all the other stuff. Doesn't Yonder live here in the offseason? No clue. Don't they like all just stay in Miami together, them and Hosmer? Isn't San Diego cooler than Miami now? I would think so, but I've never been to Miami, so can't attest. That's like a humidity swamp town with like iguanas living in the trees and stuff. I'd rather live in San Diego. Yeah. So anyway, we've got Yonder Alonso. There was a trade. The Potters picked up Yonder Alonso. We're going to talk about that for a little bit. Little Joey, little nailer discussion, although we're not going to go too deep. And then we've got an interview with MILB.com reporter Andrew Batafarano. Hope I said that right. We talked about it in the interview and, you know, it's a pretty straightforward name. But anyway, we're talking to him um, kind of about all things prospects, a little thing, a uh, little discussion with the Potters and their prospects who have played this year and just kind of you know, the state of minor league baseball, what's going on with them this season and, you know, potentially what's going to go on with them long term. Um, so wait, what should we do first? Interview or uh, you want to get your your hot takes in? Let's get our hot takes in. I never heard of half of these guys and the ones I do know are way past the prime. Most of these guys never had a prime. This guy here is dead. All right, hot take away. So let's start with Lucchese and Naylor getting sent down about an hour after I finished last week's show and then didn't talk about it. So, Wade, what do you got on those two getting sent down? It's a pretty surprising move because those were two staples on the team for, like, the Why last... Why is 
Almonte on the squad and Naylor was sent down. That is was my first reaction. Is he still on the squad? They haven't no moved him yet? No idea. But he got like three star, two, two or three starts in a row. And I was like, what are we doing here, Tingler? Yeah, I think I commented to you in like our little baseball group that we talk in. Like, why is Naylor up if he's just if we're just not going to play him? And Almonte is getting these starts. What's the purpose of Naylor? And now there? Profar's in left. Like, what is going on? And not looking great. <laughs> he did hit a dinger. Um, hit a dinger, yeah. But he, for the season, he's not playing well. And then in left field, I he, he misplayed. I think is it fair to say he misplayed that fly ball in left field? Yeah. The other day, that was an easy catch. I don't know if it was easy. It's a catchable ball, but I, I mean, Nine I didn't. Nine out of ten left fielders make that catch. I don't think that was a ninety percent catch. I mean, they calculate that with Statcast now. I would, I would, I don't know. I didn't look at the data, but I would say that's probably like a sixty percent catch Roop, chance. Can you get on that? Thanks. Yeah, we'll get Roop on that. Our statistician, but uh, I don't know. Sixty percent chance he should catch that for a major. I mean, if you're Kyle Schwarber, you're not catching it, and apparently, if you're Jerickson Profar, you're not catching it. But um, hopefully, fans know what we're talking about. It was in. It was in Dodger State. It was like, what, two days ago? We're recording this on the 12th yesterday, two days ago. Yeah. Anyway, I just thought it was surprising that Naylor never really got a chance either. So he he breaks camp with the team, um, sticks with the Padres, you know, throughout the summer so far and never like got a chance to even fail. Like he didn't get this. The, we're giving Profar the at-bats for some reason, but we're not giving them to Naylor and Profar. Right. I think he only had like 18 at-bats before he got sent down. Profar is like more that. versatile. He can play infield, outfield. True. He can switch it. But what's he doing well? Like great, you're versatile, but name a couple things you're good at. He's good at smiling. He loves to smile. Um, he seems like he's really good friends with Tatis already. So now that Fran Mil Reyes is gone, we need – Oh, Anna Rias is gone. So we need need friends for the guy. True. It's like when you've got your prized stallion in the barn. You don't want them to be alone all day. So do you know what the, the horse owners do? They buy a couple of sheeps and goats and stick them in the barn with the guy. And then he then he has friends all day. Yeah. It's a true story. Didn't know that. That's what you do with your, your horses so they're not lonely. So Profar is just a little sheep or goat? He's the little goat that you stick in the, in the Can barn. Can we say goats though? <laughs> now that goat has a new meaning? Um, Since Tatis is the goat? He could be – how about the mini horse? Yeah. He's the mini horse of the Padres. Robin Big, mini horse? Yeah. I missed that show. <laughs> uh, shout out to Robin Big. R.I.P. Big. And then what you think about Lucchese going down? Because Lucchese kind of been the the staple like fourth, fifth starter on the team the last two years. Yeah. I mean I don't really mind it. I think he'll come up and down a lot this year on spot starts. Yeah, I could have seen him kind of long term in the bullpen, but Cal has been doing got Cal there tremendously. Why do you think they're not giving Cal the starter job? It's got to be some type of mental block. We need to get our sports psychologist Solly on the nice voice crack. Is that two for you already? Maybe I think it's two. Long day. <laughs> uh, we could we do have a sports psychologist friend uh, to go with our our statistician friend. We could ask him, but you know sometimes these things. He he is more comfortable. Like people forget like gamblers. I mean, I think gamblers maybe know more about this than the stats geeks do, but how a player feels mentally going into a game matters a ton. It's not, that's why I kind of get in arguments sometimes. Like I embrace all the new statistics and stuff. Um, but then I start to defend players with intangible things like where they bat in the lineup, uh, pitchers that close versus not closing. Like there, there is a mental side of the game that you can't discount. And just because you're great in the seventh inning, I don't think that just means you're going to be automatically great in the ninth. It could, but it doesn't mean it's that's going to happen. If you bat great leadoff, we were talking about what are we going to do with Tatis 
in the lineup. He's such a great leadoff hitter, but is he more valuable in the three hole? Yeah, if he was doing the same exact thing he's doing now, he would be more valuable in the three hole. But is he more comfortable and give, going to give you better stats? A la like Mookie Betts, who we've like across a couple of years just performs better in the leadoff slot. Is that a coincidence? Maybe. Or is he just happier there and he's going to perform better there? I don't know. But uh, the evidence suggests he's just ha- when you when you're happier, you're going to play better. Right. Speaking of people that are mentally locked in, Pomerantz looks so dominant right now. And a guy who transitioned from starter to exactly. reliever and is right. happier as a reliever and is going to perform better. Right. Uh, like so many starters do, I guess. But uh, failed starters, like you transition to the bullpen, all your stuff plays up. Your fastball's faster. You throw your slider harder. And right. You know you're only in for one inning. Like give it your all that one inning. You don't have to conserve. Yeah. I mean, he looks really comfortable in the ninth inning too, though. Which yeah. is seventh, eighth, or ninth. He looks comfortable. Yeah, uh, he, he, good signing, huh? Yeah, great signing, Preller. I think Preller. Well, it's it's a good signing. He, the move was questioned. I don't think it was like that move wasn't shit on by anyone. Maybe a little bit, but it wasn't considered like this weird, like this terrible move. Uh, the money was a little high for a guy who doesn't have this reputation in the bullpen. But like, it's not like Preller discovered this diamond in the rough. He was. He he transitioned to the bullpen in San Francisco and was lights out. And I think Preller saw that and was like, oh, we need we could use that and then signed him. And like, you know, it's not like Preller or like the ask what the Astros do with um some starting pitchers where they notice a, a flaw in your mechanics or you should be doing this with your forcing fastball. I'm thinking like when the, the Astros got Garrett Cole and transformed him. The Padres didn't transform Pomeranz. They kind of just noticed his potential in the bullpen. And I think uh we're willing to pay more than most other teams. True. So Cal is happy where he's at. We got way off topic there with Cal and Joey, like you said, I think probably moves up and down a little bit when they need him. He's a, re- I think he's a reliable fifth starter. He was off to kind of a so-so start. Yeah. It, go back, get his mind right. What are they actually doing at USD? Like just playing game. I don't, they play games there. How I many guess? people are even there? Well, it's it's a sixty man taxi or sixty man roster, so twenty eight are here, so thirty two would be there, I think. And what they just play against each other all day? Yeah, I bet it's just like summer camp every day. Okay. You have like instructs in the morning, um, and then you have maybe a game or two in the afternoon. Maybe they play seven inning games or something to get double headers in. Maybe we should get friend of the program Travis Radke back on to tell us what, what the hell's going on yeah, there. What day to day life is like at USD camp. Actually, I would love that. <laughs> Just give us a report of what, what actually happens in summer league or right. summer camp. Yeah. Yeah. Does anybody, well, I guess the guy, the reporters might know, but probably not super interesting. We get the player's perspective. Yeah. I'm in Travis. I'm going to be calling you this weekend. So other than that, uh, the fifth, the fifth starter position is just kind of open right now and sitting there and they haven't called up Gore. They're starting Perdomo as an opener, which went about as well as we thought it was going to go. Only gave up one run. Yeah, one run, <laughs> one inning, one run. He still tucks his ears into his hat, which has always bothered me, and I don't know why he does it. He looks like he's 12 years old when he does that. Uh, other than that, it, the position seems like it's just waiting. It's it's waiting for Gore. I don't know why Gore's not up. I think I mentioned this either last week or uh, without you or the week before with you, but there must be something that they want to work on with Gore where he's not ready. Patino, they knew his role. They want him in the bullpen right now. Call him up, stick him in the bullpen, see how he does. Gore, there's a different plan. We don't know what the plan is. Are they stretching him out more? Are there things mechanically they want to work on? Is it, I don't know what it is, but they, maybe I, they're waiting for a weak team to play. 
so that he can come in and get that first dub. Or he, or he played the Diamondbacks seven times. What are, what are we waiting for? Yeah, true. I don't know. Uh, the Rangers are coming up. The Mariners. Mariners. The the Vetter Cup. Those are big games. True. So, yeah, it might be saving them for the Vetter Cup. Bring your bring your best horses for the Vetter Cup games. True. Makes Free sense. Beat. Print the shirts. So I think that's what they're – I think they're just waiting. They're going to do this bullpen game, this opener game. Although they need – I don't want Perdomo ever opening again. But I think they're doing that until they get Gore right where they want. And then Gore slides in and pitches you five innings. Kind of like we're seeing Jesus Lazardo with the A's. You know, you throw him five innings, uh, maybe maybe six if he's super efficient. You just come up and throw three. I'd be fine with that too. Yeah. If, if you're going to have an opener, just have Gore be your opener and go three innings. Right. Face everyone in the lineup once and then get him out of there. Right. I'd be okay with that. But like I said, there must be something else going on, but we don't know what it is. Uh, I think that, that covers everything. So let's do the interview with Andrew Batafrano from MILB.com. Joining the show, we've got Adam Batafrano, reporter over at MILB.com. Follow him at on Twitter at Andrew at Bat. Andrew, do you kind of look like Charlie Day from It's Always Sunny? Was Is that why it's your cover photo on Twitter? That's <laughs> funny. No, uh, it's just one of those uh, shows I really enjoy. And I mean, I think some friends in college way back when kind of said I sounded like him at one point when I get excited. But uh, <laughs> I don't think I don't think there's any sort of uh, doppelganger effect going on there. I was trying to look at your your pro match the two pictures up. I was like, oh, he could pull a Charlie Day maybe, but I haven't seen you in person, so it's uh, <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, it's a great show. Charlie Day is the best character on that show, right? Hundred percent, hundred percent. Good call. Um, so getting into baseball, you're you cover minor league players for uh, MLB or MILB.com. And it sucks. It sucks on a lot of levels not having the minor league seasons this year. Guys miss out on development. Uh, we miss out on getting to watch them play. First year guys, we miss out on seeing in rookie ball, international guys. It goes on and on. Um, but this year, we're getting to see a lot of the top top guys get a chance perhaps sooner than usual. So do you think that's one of the few bright spots we have in this season? Yeah, I think that was something that we were all kind of anticipating once. Obviously, the minor league season was canceled, but you had this major league season with expanded rosters these roster pools that we're going to have prospects and guys were obviously, you know, there's always going to be injuries and with COVID going on guys, you know, potentially could get sick. So I think that definitely is a positive. You see a lot of these guys making headlines. I mean, Luis Robert probably was going to be a guy that was going to be in the opening day lineup in you know March rather than now, but plenty of other guys that were, you know, either ranked that might not have even, you know, made the majors this year or would have been later on in the year. Uh, you know, we've seen that pretty early on this season that they've had, you know, quite an impact so far. It's been really nice to see these teams not afraid to use these younger players. Do you think there's a chance that some of these guys are benefiting more from being in the taxi squad camp or the, the alternate site camp for a few weeks rather than playing, I don't know, rookie ball for a month and a half? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's definitely an interesting question because, you know, you've seen some of the top first round picks go to those camps, like you said, this summer. Um, I think a lot of those guys, the the college players probably would have, I guess, avoided the rookie ball for the most part. They probably would have mm-hmm. went to short season and then maybe a stint in class A, you know, depending on if they were pitcher, maybe an innings limit thing going on. It always depends on the organization and the player. Um yeah, I, I don't think it hurts to, you know, have guys, you know, close to major league players or guys that have 
experience the major leagues or even the coaching staffs. Uh, yeah, it's almost kind of like a, uh, you know, cactus league, grapefruit league situation going on where, you know, you have these guys that are, you know, working out closely with major league players. And I, I don't think that's ever a bad thing. There's a bunch of preseason, whatever list you go to baseball, America, Fangrass, MLB, mm-hmm. bunch of preseason top 100 guys flying around the majors right now. And it's nice to see, but who have you been going out of your way to make sure like this guy's playing tonight? I've got to make sure I see him. Yeah. I mean, the two that obviously come to mind, you know, before, you know, everything kind of started, it was going to be Luis Robert to see, you know, obviously his debut. And he's a guy that had just kind of a transcendent year last year in the minors and uh, Nate Pearson, if he was going to eventually make the Blue Jays roster, which he did shortly after opening day, just has kind of those you know, fastballs, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's triple digits. He can pitch, you know, five, six innings right now until he gets a little bit more stretched out. Uh, you know, there, there are a ton of guys across the league. I mean, I was curious to see when the Angels were going to bring up Joe Adele, and that was more recently. Uh, and then Kyle Lewis has obviously gotten off to this, you know, tremendous start with the, the Mariners after he had a nice run at the end of last season. So it really, uh, you know, from East Coast to West Coast, you have a lot of these guys that are uh, – you know, really exciting to watch. It's not like, oh, wow, there's not going to be anybody in this game. Like, you're usually seeing it across the board. It's been fun. And, you know, especially with the Padres, I think maybe a little bit of a surprise because, you know, he never played the minors with the Padres, but Jake Cronenworth's gotten off to that great start. Um, and, you know, he's not even a first baseman by trade. So, uh, yeah, there's there have been so many different guys that it's been, you know, fun to watch, whether it's, you know, the the pitching side or, you know, the hitting side of it as well. I was going to ask you about Cronenworth, but if, if Robert is probably the the favorite right now in the AL for Rookie of the Year, who would be your NL guy? Cronenworth has to be in that conversation right now. Oh, for sure, right now. Uh, and like I said, uh, you know, he comes in, you know, he's replacing Hosmer at first base. And you look at Jake Cronenworth's minor league stats, he's played all of one game uh, at first base in the minor league. So for him to kind of come in, basically learn a new position. I know he's more, you know, I guess a, you know, middle infielder utility guy that he can, you know, he has that ability to play multiple positions, but you know, it's not always easy going into a spot, you know, you're going in for Eric Hosmer. Uh, I think he's definitely in that question for, you know, NL rookie of the year right now. I, I think obviously it's early on with the games and some teams have missed games going on. So it's like, you, know, you don't want to, you know, make that jump right away. But, you know, Dustin May is obviously another one. You know, the NL West has a ton of those talented players that have gotten in there. And, uh, you know, it's hard to say uh, for rookie of the year, but Ryan Castellani comes in for a start for the Rockies, throws those, you know, perfect innings. Uh, yeah, I think the, the AL picks might be a little bit easier right now because you have a guy like Robert that, you know, has really stood out from the pack and uh, Jesus Lozardo who's come in and done such a fantastic job. I think the NL one is a little bit murkier, at least right now. Um, you know, Andre Semenes with the Mets has done really well coming in, playing defensively at both second and short, and he's hit pretty well. Uh, but yeah, I, like you said, Cronenworth has to be in that conversation. He's gotten off to a really, really hot start. Yeah, when you get off to a hot start in a 60-game season, it's not hard to <laughs> ride that wave into the into like some kind of, you know, accolades at the end of the year, you, you'll, you have a few good weeks and that can boost up your overall numbers pretty nicely for, for Cronenworth. What do you think they do? The Padres that is do with, mm-hmm. uh, Mackenzie Gore when he inevitably comes up, is he in that Luis Patino bullpen role we've seen Patino struggle a little bit? Do you mm-hmm. think they're making room for him in the rotation? What, what do you think they would do with Gore? Yeah. I mean, 
you look at it, you know, normal year, everything Gore is, uh, you know, he's the type of guy that, you know, you try and he's a foundational piece in the rotation. I think he's, he's got so many great weapons on the mound. Uh, you know, he's obviously got that kind of deceiving motion. It's very unique to Mackenzie Gore. You see, it, it's like, Oh, that's Mackenzie Gore pitching. You can, you know, tell from a long distance away. Uh, you know, he's got all these plus pitches. Uh, I, I don't think he would be a guy that you'd envision being in the bullpen, you know, for any length of time. Uh, it would be more, you know, trying to build him into the ace that, you know, he's kind of envisioned to be, you know, that being said, if somehow there are injuries or anything else that happened with the Padres this year and they see him, you know, kind of coming in this year, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see him in the bullpen, like you said, in a Patino role right now. Uh, you know, especially with this year, guys don't seem to be pitching as long in their starts. And, you know, you have guys like Anthony Kay for the Blue Jays, for example, he's been a career starter and they've been using him kind of in a, in the extended relief role where he'll pitch two, three innings out of the bullpen. You know, you could see Gore in a spot like that if he were to come up this year, but you know, long-term he's a starter. You wrote a piece uh, semi-recently for MILB.com called uh, prospects reflect on debuting in 2020. And you talked about a bunch of top prospects or you talked to a few guys around baseball. Mm -hmm. Um, Tease it for our listeners just a little bit. What what did you learn about talking? uh, What did you learn from talking to these guys? Yeah, it was interesting to see, uh, you know, kind of debuting in a unique year where obviously there are no fans in the stands. There's this fake crowd noise. There's obviously a very, you know, much shorter season where it's 60 games. There's this roster pool that we've never really heard of, these taxi squads that are, you know, going to be available to every game. It's definitely something that, you know, you know, hopefully we don't happen again. You know, we're back to normal stuff next year, hopefully. But uh, yeah, it was. I was interested to see if these guys, I talked to Tyler Stevenson from the Reds, uh, Brandon Bailey from the Astros and JT Brubaker from the Pirates. I was curious just to see like, what was it like to, you know, kind of come in where, you know, there was a good chance that most, if not, you know, all three of those guys, maybe not Brubaker, he might've started in the major leagues, but at least, you know, two or three of those guys probably would have started the year in the minor leagues. And I was curious to them because, you know, most of them got off to really good start in spring training and, they didn't really have this kind of momentum coming into the year where they were either going to start in the minors and kind of build off of what they did in camp or, you know, make the team out of camp if they did well enough continuing over the next couple of weeks. So I, you know, I was curious about kind of how they were able to handle, you know, not playing for a couple of months because these are guys that have played professionally the last couple of years. And, you know, they were amateurs for a long time before that. And, you know, their spring and summer months were always spent playing baseball. And, you know, from the middle of March to the end of June, beginning of July, they weren't playing. So it was probably the longest time these guys haven't played competitively in, you know, how however many years. So it was weird for them, but they were, you know, they all were very excited despite not, you know, having, you know, family or friends in the stands and, uh, I know Tyler Stevenson was saying he was hoping next year, if you know people are allowed in the crowd again, that he's going to have a kind of like a debut 2.0 where he'll have his family and friends fly out to wherever he plays his, uh, you know, first major league game when fans are allowed in the stands. And I thought that was kind of a, a cool thing to have where he had his, you know, actual debut on paper, but then he'll have his second debut with uh, people in the crowd and. The the my main takeaway from it all was, uh, you know, it didn't take away from the. You know, the excitement of having a debut was still, you know, a pressure packed game. You know, you're playing against major league teams and major league lineups. So, 
these guys were just excited to get out there and, you know, they all did pretty well in their first debut. Yeah. It's something I, I have never really considered deeply is these guys who are used to playing in front of fans their whole lives. And when they get called up, finally, you know, you get to invite your whole family and then, you know, the crowd, depending on where you are, what time of year it is and who you're playing can be electric. It can be, it can jack you up and not just for the, the new guys either, but for the veterans. Um, mm-hmm. I wonder what the emotional side of the game, like so much of baseball is mental and, uh, how do you, how do you play differently? Maybe do you get to just focus more of it? Like maybe it takes a couple of days to get used to it. Do you get to just focus on only baseball now? There's no distractions or does it get you in your own head too much? It's an interesting case study. I think that we can look at mm-hmm. maybe it, it maybe in a year comparing veterans to, to minor league guys, but especially for the young guys who um, are being thrown into totally new situations for the first time and having no fans. Um, it's cool that you got to talk to a couple of those guys about that. Yeah, and that was something that I uh, talked a little bit longer with Brandon Bailey from the Astros. That I, I kind of, you know, I had the same, you know, curiosity where you don't have these, you know, especially two of these guys came out of the bullpen and you know, coming out of the bullpen, usually you kind of have that adrenaline rush, and you know, you see a lot of times you have runners on base and you know the crowd's going loud. And he, you thought it was interesting that this year he kind of did, like you said, doesn't have those distractions where it's kind of just focusing on the day-to-day routines of just like, okay, what is it like to be a major league player? What is the routine like to be with these guys, uh, you know, kind of get out there and, you know, pitch to major league hitters and really just focus on the baseball stuff. So he's like, it's kind of like a sneak preview of, you know, just that one aspect of it. And then when things get back to normal, it'll be kind of everything thrown together. So it's kind of a nice way to, you know, get into it at first and then, you know, expand upon it when, and things get back to normal. Is there a league in the minors or maybe even a couple teams that you've gotten attached to recently because the players are so dynamic that this year you're just really bummed out. You're not going to get to see them. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I would say more organizationally rather than, you know, specific team or league, mm-hmm. you know, the white Sox are obviously always one of those uh, teams the last couple of years that have just been developing a ton of great prospects and same with the Padres, really those two teams and the, the blue Jays as well. Uh, you know, this last couple of years, there's so many talented players and teams that they have throughout their systems. It's really been, you know, fun to watch and cover different guys. And I, I think more so than covering a specific team, league or organization, it's more seeing the players that you might not expect to, you know, either become a ranked prospect or have this like fantastic gear that almost come out of you know, nowhere, at least from, you know, a national perspective where you might not hear their name a lot. And then it's like, oh, wow, this guy's really burst onto the scene. I think I miss that the most where, you know, you see this guy in like June or July. And it's like, wow, he's leading the, you know, International League in home runs or, you know, triples or something. And, you know, you wouldn't have totally expected that. It's kind of the the little surprises, the surprise stories that, uh, you know, I think I'm kind of most bummed about not seeing this year. And hopefully we'll get, you know, sooner rather than later. Do you get to travel around to a lot of different minor league parks or are you mostly uh, an in-the-office guy? Yeah, most of us are in the office. Ben Hill, who is our guy who does the business side of the minors, he goes to, you know, all across the country. He's been to every mm-hmm. active park that, you know, has been at least in use. I'm talking about the new stadiums that didn't get to open this year. But, yeah, 
Um, you know, I've gone to different places in my travels, just obviously not this year, uh, you know, mostly on the East coast and everything being from here and, you know, living here most of my life. Uh, you know, that was kind of one of my goals this year to, you know, see more minor league parks across the league or across the leagues. Um, and uh, unfortunately it won't be the case, but, you know, I'm hoping next year, once things are, you know, reopening back to normal that, you know, you get to go to these different leagues, whether it's the Midwest league, which I've never seen, or, you know, hopefully getting to the Cal league, that would be, you know, really fun. We, we have some, you know, writers out there uh, that get to go to those games a lot, which is really fun. And they get to provide that coverage for us, but, you know, to working with them would be really cool to, to get out there. Is it recency bias or I don't know what it is, but why do you think we're seeing so many young players get chances earlier than I know in the past where, and now they're having so much success right away as opposed to, I don't know, you, you sit in the minors for two, three years. You, you got, you make sure you play triple a, you make sure you, you, you know, go step by step through the, the rungs of the minor leagues. Why are, why are guys getting chances earlier? You think, especially I'm thinking of the, the Potteries and the White Sox who you mentioned mm-hmm. a minute ago. We're seeing so many guys get chances earlier and having a lot of success earlier. Why do you think that is? I think it's just certain organizations have that faith in their young players where they've seen enough of them in the minor leagues to know, like, all right, this is this guy's skill set. This is what he can provide for us on an everyday basis or, you know, whatever role they play um, at the major league level. Um, and I, I think at this point, we obviously have better scouting, uh, better tools to measure guys' skills. And it's not just, you know, one, you know, scout for your team or one, you know, organizational leader for your team kind of seeing like, oh, yeah, this guy did really well. Uh, you know, you have so much video, you have so many analytical tools that these teams have at their dispense where uh, it's just so much easier, I guess, for them to see what a guy can provide for them at the major league level now versus say even five, six years ago, you know, the technology has advanced so much where, you know, you're able to see what a guy can do or what a guy needs to improve on that much. Uh, you know, even from, you know, rookie ball all the way up to triple a, you know, you have all these different tools to kind of measure what a guy can do. And I think teams obviously have faith in what these younger players can do. And, you know, they're obviously the, uh, you know, players and teams that go the more traditional route where they go, you know, up the rung, you know, very incrementally. But I mean, you know, most recently, the I think the most notable name you see that got caught up quickly. And, you know, I think it took even me by surprise a little bit was, you know, Juan Soto when he got called up, uh, you know, so young. And he, I mean, he was kind of a unique case where he was hurt the previous year. And then he started the next year at the same level in class A. Uh, and then he obviously moved up very quickly, but I think he only spent that, you know, 2018, you know, season, like 40 games or something in the minor leagues. And then he gets called up and, you know, he's one of the best young players in baseball still. Uh, so I think it's just teams having, you know, those tools available to them and just, it makes it so much easier to make that call that like, Hey, like this guy's good enough. Like, let's give him a shot. What do you think the lasting effects are going to be of, you know, less minor league teams uh, in baseball? I, there's, there's a ton of minor league teams. They, MLB does more with development of players than any other league uh, in the U.S. at least. Uh, internationally, I'm not so sure, but um, they've got to be up there. The number of players mm-hmm. per, per organization is huge. And the number of rounds we have in our draft and they do international stuff. What do you, losing some teams, uh, well, losing a big chunk of teams – what do you think the, the lasting effects of that are going to be going forward for baseball? 
Yeah, and you kind of mentioned it with the you know draft, you know, getting shorter, especially this year being a unique one where we're so short. Um, I think kind of what I was talking about earlier. Uh, you know, you have these kind of surprise guys that might not be ranked or they take a little bit longer to develop. I think that's kind of the lasting impact where you won't see as many of those guys right away, you know, make it professionally. They might have to go the independent route. Uh, and I think you're going to see fewer of those guys initially get, you know, those chances. Cause obviously, like you said, the, you know, major league teams and, you know, the organizations that, you know, the affiliate teams that are affiliated with, you know, combined have these huge, massive rosters. Uh, you're obviously going to see less players uh, available to you because of that. So I think you're going to see fewer of these guys that might be, you know, more long-term projects where once they get into an organization, they have these ability to rise up because they have better coaching or, you know, kind of more attentive eyes than they might've at, you know, if they went to a smaller college or something like that. Um, that being said, I think you'll still see those guys eventually get into the fold at some point, you know, if they're talented enough, they will, you know, catch the eye of a scout or something, but it's just going to be a much different process where you're not going to see a lot of these guys, whether, you know, in the you know 30th round or something come out of nowhere in their second year, like, wow, like this guy was a 30th round pick and now he's a Midwest league all-star. Uh, you're not going to probably see as many of those guys because, you know, the draft is going to be shorter. There's fewer spots to kind of take flyers on guys that might have a specific tool, but they're not, you know, as maybe as well-rounded as another guy. Um, so I think that's going to be the the biggest difference, at least initially. I was scrolling through your Twitter to find some stuff to talk to you about. And one thing caught my eye and we'll let you out of here on this. The office or parks and rec? The, uh, okay. So I, I mean, right away it's, it's the office, uh, but it's definitely closer than it might have used to have been for me. Um, because I was, I was a very big office fan, you know, when the show was on TV and, you know, still watching it now. And I didn't really watch parks and rec when it first came out, uh, you know, caught a little bit of the first season. I was like, all right, this is, you know, trying too hard to be the office. But, you know, first season is is, is a disaster. I don't like I hate the uh, Parks and Rec is my one of my favorite shows of all time. And the first season can can get out of here. And I I think that was why it kind of turned me off. I tried to watch it. I was like, "Uh, this is just trying too hard to be the office. And it's not, you know, it doesn't really work with these characters. Uh, But watching it in reruns and watching it on Netflix and Hulu, where the streaming service is on. um, I was like, oh, wow. Like, it really does pick up after the second season. I will say. This is like my uh, hot take of the day. I don't even know if it's really a hot take, but I think Parks and Rec lasts longer in terms of it being good, you know, beginning to end, whereas The Office has a better peak. It it gets kind of higher and then it drops off toward the end. Uh, I think Parks and Rec kind of stays more consistently good throughout the series. So for me, it's like one and two Office, Parks and Rec. I, I love both of those shows. Okay. Uh, I'll let you off with that. I I'm a big parks and rec guy. I never watched the office when it was on. I came late and I've been watching it pandemic or during the pandemic because there's nothing else for me to do. And I, I, I like some of it. I don't like most of it. Um, Michael Scott really bugs me. I'd say the majority of the time I'm not into the cringe humor and that's mostly what the show leans on for the first several years. That's all it is, is cringe humor. And yeah, Parks and Rec, the first season was trying to copy The Office and it was it was awful. And then once it found its voice, uh, I think it was I think it's a much better show. I think the it ends much better. It, it kind of keeps its momentum, um, I think, basically up through the final season, uh, in my opinion. But 
Yeah, I wanted I wanted to to grill you on Officer Parks and Rec because I love doing that to anybody who I talk to, mm-hmm. just because um, all my friends are are pro office, and whenever I meet a Parks and Rec person, I feel you know a very special attachment. <laughs> uh, Parks and Rec over the office that is. So we we almost have you. Maybe in a couple of years we'll convince you that the par- the Parks and Rec is actually a better show. It, it it's closer than I ever expected. Uh, you know, I actually rewatched Parks and Rec kind of at the beginning of the pandemic as well. And I think that the, my take on it, I, I love that kind of second to last season that uh, they have the unity concert at the end of it. I think yeah. uh, I, I think honestly, if somehow the series ended right there, uh, it would have been a perfect ending as well. And I do like the, the series finale as well. Uh, but I think that second to last season was very, very good. I remember watching it and thinking I, I was I was not in the, in the U.S. At, when I was watching it live. And I thought they were going to end the show when she won uh the race for uh city city council i thought that yeah. was the end of the show that was a great ending too the but. uh the show had a lot of different times where i think they were uncertain if it was ever coming back and even when like adam scott came on the show at, at the end of season 2 with rob Lowe, i think even then they weren't certain about if it was coming back they had to kind of uh you know really push for themselves and you know like you said find their voice and you know luckily they were able to stay on for as long as they did yeah, Mark Brandanowitz, the character who who left and was basically replaced by Adam Scott and Rob Lowe, he I, I don't think he knew that it was going to be what it was. Like he he had other commitments, and if he knew the show was going to be, I don't know the actor's name, and I'm not going to look it up, but um, he he just kind of left because like oh I've got other stuff going on. It, it, Parks and Rec turned into one of the, the best shows of all time. It, it's unfortunate that those guys, even at the time, um, just a couple years in, had no idea what it was going to be. That's kind of what it is for every show, I guess. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, he, if you're on a show that is written or created by Michael Schur, uh, you know, you're, you're in good hands. And he's, a, he's obviously a big baseball fan, and you see those kind of very subtle baseball references in Parks and Rec. Oh, with, yeah. With the uh, Babbitt, uh, Vakoda, <laughs> Vor, uh, Vakoda and Vorp. Uh, Xtine you know, Vorp, long, yeah. Xtine <laughs> Vorp, the long term. Uh, he always puts in those kind of subtle baseball references, and, you know, he's one of the, you know, greatest, you know, TV writers of all time. Uh, if he's, you know, working on your show, you're probably in good hands. What's his new show that's coming out? He has got something else in the works right now. That is a good question. Um, you know, I, I think I saw something about the other day and I don't remember what it was, but I think it was, I think it's on one of the streaming services and I could be completely wrong about that, but, uh, you know, the good place obviously just ended recently and that's, you know, one of his, you know, projects as well. And, you know, really anything he touches really to me at least turns into TV gold. Uh, so <laughs> if you see his name attached to something, uh, you know, I'm, I'm probably going to watch it. All right. Well, thanks for nerding out on parks and rec for a little bit and the office. Uh, we'll let you go. Thanks so much for joining us. Follow him on Twitter at Andrew at bat. That's with two T's at the end. You'll, you'll figure it out. Uh, read all the stuff on MILB.com. Not Milb, right, Andrew? It's not Milb. Yeah. MILB. <laughs> Andrew was telling me off air that someone said Milb once. Like, never heard that in my life. I can't believe anyone would ever see that. But you know, it's it's 2020. It shouldn't discount anything. Andrew, loved having you on. Let's get you on again when we have some some minor league baseball stuff to nerd out on as well. Awesome. Yeah, that would be great. That was Adam Bataferano from MILB.com. Follow him on Twitter at Andrew at Bat. Two T's on Bat at the end. Good guest. Liked him. That was it, Wade. I would like to make a <laughs> shout out to the guy that commented, I'm never listening to this program again. 
Because we suggested trading for a 34-year-old Charlie Blackman. Oh, one of our famous iTunes uh, reviewers who who was reviewing a a fairly early episode of the podcast. It was October. I think we we started last June. So fairly – Fairly early in the show, but we were yeah we were throwing out trade ideas and uh, suggested Charlie Blackman. Yeah, whoever you are, meet us in Tomato. <laughs> He's Charlie Blackman's had a pretty good start to the season. And actually, I was thinking about that uh, today. Would you rather like let's say they had traded for Charlie Blackman and he's your left fielder right now or D, or DH or whatever? Can you imagine the squad with the Charlie Blackman hitting five hundred? Well, first of all, that'd be incredible, and second of all, <laughs> um, well, I think that would displace the Tommy Pham trade. Wouldn't it? Because I don't think you, I don't think you trade for Tommy Pham if you're true. Uh, if you have Charlie Blackman, right? Because the salary implications and just the the outfield, you know, logjam. But uh, that also means maybe we don't get Jake Cronenworth, who is the second best player on the team. Would you rather have Pham and Cronenworth or Charlie Blackman? Pham and Cronenworth. But still, whoever you are, meet me in Temecula. Yeah, it's not a it's not a great look to to dump all over that trade idea when Charlie Blackman's hitting going into day five hundred. Yeah. Um, what did he do today, by the way? You wanna look that up real quick? I'll look it up real quick. Uh I was watching the game earlier and he didn't look like he was off to a hot start. Ah, I went over four today. Brings that average down to four seventy two. And just did five oh six on base. So <laughs> Um. Yeah, he's doing pretty well, and I would still. I think he would do well in San Diego. I I, I maintain that is the left fielder of the DH. He's he's not making that much. He's making like Will Myers money, like which is a lot of money, but it's not a, it's not an immovable or uneatable contract. The Potters could have totally eaten that last right. year and given away very few prospects. I think because I think the Rockies were trying to move it. Yeah, the Rockies weren't you know looking for a ton back to to eat that. It's a great back. idea at the time. <laughs> It was. I think that's aged well. So we'll take the W on that. That's going to do it. So hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you again, Andrew Badaferrano. And thank you all for listening. So please enjoy, uh, Please follow the show's Twitter account at Friar Farmhands. And if you enjoyed, if you didn't, subscribe. We're on all your favorite platforms. iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, iHeart. You can also find us at Believe.com and at Believe Podcasts. Please leave your comments, questions, concerns, and your rating of the show on all platforms. You've been listening to the Believe in Padres Prospects podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, San Diego's number one sports podcast network. That was Wade. I'm Reinhardt. We'll talk to you next week. Temecula. Toward your destination. Though you may find from time to time. The Milb thing is more, I think, insidery Major League Baseball office thing because all of the MLB office people that we work with, they always say Milb. They don't, no, one really? says M-I- no one says MILB. <laughs> That's even more shocking. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.